Hello fellow travelers and welcome to Adventures in Security, episode 5 for December 18th, 2005. I'm your host, Tom Olzak. This is a weekly podcast published each Sunday evening sometime before midnight. You can also find most of the information covered in our episodes at adventuresinsecurity.com. If you're interested in commenting on what you hear or about topics you'd like us to talk about, please send email to podcasts at adventuresinsecurity.com. The purpose of this podcast is the exploration of security management, including the crazy things people try to do to each other and to themselves. The focus of today's podcast is uh, preparing for incident response. Before we get to that, I'd like to go uh, address about three different news stories that I found this week and uh, let you know what I think about them. The first one has to do with the integration of physical security and information security um, becoming a trend, and this is according to CSO Magazine's State of Information Security Survey for 2005. According to the survey, 31% of respondents reported that in their organization, the physical security and information security teams report to the same executive leader. This is up from 11% in 2003. 53% reported that there is some integration between the two groups. This leaves only about 11% of respondents with no meaningful interaction between the physical and the information security teams. This article raises some important points. As security matures as a strategic part of your business, it's important that all facets of security be coordinated and integrated. Physical security is a critical element of a layered security model. So if your organization is slow to formally unite the physical and information security functions, what can you do? In my experience, inviting both teams to security planning meetings is a good start. For example, although often marginalized, your physical security team should assist with incident and disaster recovery planning, training, and testing. On the other hand, your information security team should be involved in the design of physical security safeguards especially as they relate to the protection of information assets. Finally, when physical intrusions occur or a catastrophic event causes severe damage to your facilities, you want your security teams trained to work together to mitigate business impact. The Application Security Industry Consortium, APSIC, became official this week. Founded by 14 vendors, analysts, and companies that buy, sell, and use security products, Its goal is to address the problems security managers have getting budget dollars by offering ways to measure security return on investment. Today, I've found no easy way to calculate return on security investment. If successful, this initiative will provide a much-needed tool for justifying security spending, especially when managers ask to remediate a risk that has nothing to do with regulatory compliance. I think it's interesting that American businesses can spend billions of dollars annually on regulatory compliance, which, by the way, is often only a small piece of the total risk an organization faces from human, natural, and man-made threats. They do this while having a difficult time spending anything on security fundamentals. In my opinion, we need something more than a good ROI tool. We need an executive management shift in perspective. Decision makers need to start looking beyond regulatory issues and manage security spending based on sound risk management principles. Preventing and detecting fraud are two major objectives of financial controls. 
processes put in place by corporations seeking to meet regulatory requirements and investor expectations sometimes require large resource commitments for reporting systems and other audit-related tool implementations. But there may be a piece missing that might require less effort and potentially carries a bigger benefit, and that is employee awareness. According to Mike Osborne, a senior security manager for Kimberly Clark, employee accountability plays a large role in deterrence. In an article in the December 2005 issue of CSO Magazine entitled How to Prevent and Detect Fraud, Osborne suggests the following. First, provide training on the corporate code of conduct to all employees, but especially those in purchasing, accounts payable, and any group or individual responsible for processing expense reports. Second, provide a fraud hotline for anonymous reporting of suspected fraudulent acts. And finally, include fraud detection and prevention as part of your overall security program. And that's all the news commentary for this episode. The featured security management topic this evening is preparing for incident management response. In other words, preparing your organization to respond effectively to security incidents, including natural disasters, physical intrusion or attack, and malware infestations of your network. And this is just a short list. Before we begin examining what you need to do to get ready to protect your business, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about the purpose of a strong incident management program. Once a security incident occurs, it's management's responsibility to minimize loss and destruction. According to NIST Special Publication 800-58, an incident can be thought of as a violation or imminent threat of violation of computer security policies, acceptable use policies, or standard security policies. An imminent threat is defined by NIST as a reasonable belief based on information received that an incident is about to occur. When responding to an incident, the first consideration is protection of human life. The second consideration is the restoration of information processing services. The final step is mitigation of weaknesses that might have been exploited during the incident. An incident management program that effectively addresses these areas will produce the following benefits to your organization. First, the business impact of each incident is minimized. Second, the safety of your employees is improved. Third, corporate liability due to lack of due diligence is mitigated. Fourth, regulatory requirements are met. Fifth, your organization's public image is protected by a fast, professional response. There are four basic parts of an incident management program. They are preparation, detection and analysis, containment, eradication and recovery, and post-incident activity. We'll discuss the last three in future episodes. For now, let's get started with preparation. Before an incident occurs in your environment, it's important to do everything you reasonably can to prepare yourself for a quick and effective response. The steps leading to the proper preparation of your organization include developing an incident management policy, forming and training incident response teams, and developing a communication plan. The first step in any security activity is the creation of a policy that clearly states what you're trying to accomplish. You should include in the policy a statement of management commitment to an effective incident management capability, the purpose of the policy, the business and security objectives to be met, 
a statement defining how your organization defines a security incident, and an incident management and response organization structure. The organization structure section of the policy is very important. Each person in your company responsible for incident response must clearly understand her role and the roles of other teams with which she'll have to interface. The lack of a clearly defined organization structure can create confusion, resulting in each phase of a response taking longer than necessary. This almost always results in a more severe impact on your business. Some things to consider when planning your incident management teams include the role of each team, clearly defined responsibilities assigned to each team, the levels of authority or the chain of command leading up to a single recovery manager that should be easy to follow. Further, the incident response team should be given sufficient authority to make decisions necessary to shut down or confiscate systems to protect your information assets. Next, you should consider the prioritization of incidents. Various types of incidents will occur in your organization. Each type might require a unique response with specific reporting requirements. And finally, you need to include an explanation of reporting requirements. What is each team's responsibility for reporting? What should be re included in the reports? And to whom are the reports submitted? When completed, this policy forms the foundation for incident management preparation. Cross-functional incident response teams, or IRTs, are your basic weapons against all types of attacks. The proper staffing and training of these teams is critical to your success in dealing with security incidents. Whether you need one or ten teams depends on your business environment. In any case, each team should consist of the following. A team manager. This person has overall responsibility to ensure business objectives are met during an incident response activity. In addition, she's responsible for communicating status to senior management. A technical lead. The technical lead is charged with assessing the scope of impact of an incident on the technology infrastructure. He's also responsible for containment and recovery activities as they relate to information processing systems. The technical lead supervises the following members of the IRT, one or more network engineers, and one or more programmers. Public Relations This person is responsible for communicating with shareholders, the press, and other outside entities. Security The IS security team is usually the first responder to any incident. The members of this team are also responsible for providing oversight during containment, eradication, and recovery operations. IS support. The support team can assist with containment, establish alternate methods of information processing when primary systems or network paths are disrupted, and assist with system recovery tasks. Physical security. Securing the facility and responding to human intrusions and alerts are the responsibility of this team. And facilities management. Responsibilities for resolving power issues, locating and coordinating the move to alternate facilities, and structural assessments and repair fall to this team role. Your IRTs have three primary responsibilities. First, to prevent security incidents. Second, to respond to incidents when they occur. And third, to take steps after an attack to improve the organization's incident prevention, detection, and response capabilities. The prevention of security incidents is essentially an exercise in managing risk in a reasonable and appropriate manner, including 
the identification of threat vulnerability pairs through vulnerability assessments, penetration testing, and vulnerability reports from vendors as well as private and government sources. The assessment of the probability that a threat will exploit one or more vulnerabilities. The assessment of potential business impact if specific events occur. And finally, the development of action plans based on sound risk management principles to proactively mitigate risk. Once an incident occurs, your IRTs must have the skills necessary to quickly react in a way that minimizes business impact. To accomplish this, each member of the team must understand how to analyze incident data, determine the scope and nature of the incident, and communicate with other recovery teams, including the information to be communicated. The IRT's responsibilities don't end once they complete recovery operations. As we'll examine in later episodes, most recovery activities are a very important part of incident management. These activities include understanding how to improve prevention and detection controls, how to further reduce business impact, and the development of an action plan to make the necessary adjustments to incident response teams and documentation. The final step in preparation is the development of a communication plan. One of the most important facets of incident management and response is communication. Adequate communication for the purpose of recovery business impact control, and public relations considerations requires reaching out to various internal and external entities. Your incident management communication plan should include names, phone numbers, and when to contact each entity you identify. Some of these entities include the following. The media. In our description of the members of an IRT, we included a public relations professional. Sending the right message to the media is absolutely essential if you hope to effectively deal with the fears of customers and investors. In addition to the public relations representative, all other members of your IRT should also be trained on how to respond to inquiries from the press. Another entity you should consider is law enforcement. Develop a relationship with local, state, and federal law enforcement prior to the occurrence of an incident. Use this opportunity to understand how each agency can help and how they prefer you process evidence or a potential information security crime scene. Once an incident occurs, coordinate contact with law enforcement through senior management, human resources, and if appropriate, your legal department. Another entity with which you should communicate during an incident are incident reporting organizations. Although reporting an incident to an organization like the U.S. Computer Emergency Readiness Team, U.S. CERT, is not necessarily going to improve the quality of your recovery, it will provide information to a central database that law enforcement agencies and businesses can use to identify and mitigate threats or vulnerabilities. Organizations ISPs are another entity. Your ISPs, or Internet Service Providers, are an important resource during an attack via the Internet. If you've taken appropriate steps during preparation activities, your ISPs can assist by quickly blocking suspect traffic. In addition, an ongoing relationship with your ISP can result in frequent reviews of what steps they're taking to proactively prevent known attack traffic from reaching your network perimeter. You should also consider communicating with owners of attacking addresses. In many cases, the systems used to attack your network may be infected machines on an unsuspecting organization's network. 
Make sure at least one person in each IRT knows how to quickly locate the owner of an IP address by using a service like Aaron. A quick call to the address owner can accomplish two objectives. First, the owner can block all outgoing traffic associated with the attack. Second, the owner organization can take steps to rid their network of the malware. This will help prevent future attacks. Software vendors are another good contact point. Before, during, and after an attack, one of the most important communication points is the vendor who supports the target or damaged application or operating system. The vendor can help identify the existence of potential vulnerabilities, recommend critical security patches, translate log entries, provide assistance during an attack, and help with recovery efforts. The final entity we'll cover in this episode is the affected external party. Affected external parties might include customers and suppliers. Your organization has a responsibility to practice due diligence to prevent the effects of an attack from migrating to entities connected to your network. Notifying IRTs at connected organizations is a good start. Further, you should let your customers and suppliers know if there will be an interruption in service or product delivery. Finally, if the attack involved the potential compromise of regulated or other sensitive information about employees or customers, it's critical, and in some locations mandatory, to notify all affected parties. Prior to communicating with any external party, be sure to clear the content of the communication through senior management and your legal department. Incident management preparation might consume significant time and resources, but it provides the foundation necessary to adequately perform the tasks in the remaining incident management steps. Well, that's it for this week. I hope we were able to make your life a little easier. Until next time, be careful what you click.